The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. Find out more about this amazing collectible and sign up for their mailing list for special offers at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. Pen Division at Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, one and all, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I am Bill Smith, your host, and this is episode number 256. So excited to have you here. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for being a part of what we do each and every week here at Trek Geeks. Normally, at this point of the show, I would bring in my illustrious co-host, the uh, the the beautiful and vivacious Dan Davidson, but Dan actually is off this week. So sitting in for Mr. Davidson is the lovely and talented Mr. Casey Shafsky from Discovering Trek. Casey, welcome aboard, buddy. Um, we're making the call in from the bullpen, buddy. Hey, I, I am I'm the heater. I'm the lefty. I'm bringing it in. You want three outs? I'm here for you. You gonna bring the fastball, wild thing? Hey, throw him the heater. <laughs> I love Major League. The first time I saw that in the theater, I think I was one of 15 people in the theater, and I was the only one that was cheering the whole way, um, despite the fact it was the Cleveland Indians depicted in the movie. Oh, I hear you. Well, hey, good for you. I love that movie, too. It's like, where do you get awesome coming from the bullpen music like that? That's where it started. Uh, Joan Jett doing Wild Thing is, is not terrible. No, Joan you Jett know? is is a B A D D D A Z Z Z. She's tough, and if you're gonna get that song and you want to ramp it up a little bit, freshen it up, Joan Jett. Well, speaking of ramping it up, this week you and I are gonna spend a little time considering Enterprise, since you've been doing that over on Discovering Trek, and we're gonna continue our celebration of Enterprise Twenty here on Trek Geeks with a look at Jonathan Archer, the character which I'm pretty excited to do. We had to bump this last week due to all the developments from First Contact Day. So um, you get something that's that's in your wheelhouse for this discussion, Casey. you got to be pretty excited. 
I am. You know, with, with Sarah and I talking about Enterprise, and, and right now we're in the first season, um, having this opportunity to refresh myself on other seasons and aspects of, hey, our first captain going out there and digging it. And like, you know, all right, what, what was the stuff here? What made, you know, J.A. the captain that I think a lot of us enjoy? I think so too. I think it's going to be to good to review and, and reflect on some of these things. It's inter- interesting to see where the character started and where it wound up, but we'll get into more mm. of that as the show goes on. Now, normally, Casey, I would ask Dan to regale us with how people can get in touch with us. But if you feel able to the task, um, would you be so kind as to pull up the contact card and tell people how they can route us their feedback on how awesome a job you did sitting in for Dan? Oh, well, since you said it so nicely, I'll do that. We definitely want to hear from all of you. How can you contact us? Well, go to trekgeeks.com slash contact, email, voicemail, chat, tweet at us, anything. The Ravens haven't been working too well, so stay with those other four. Also on Facebook, come find us at Camp Kittimer the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network on Facebook, the most positive Trek group. There's no trolling. There's no gatekeeping. Only people celebrating what they love about Trek. So remember, in Facebook, just search for Camp Kittimer. And we want to do a nice little thank you right now for our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark, for the amazing they do running the camp. Now... Please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That's amazing. You actually made it through that almost as well as Dan does. Um, and Dan doesn't do it very well. So <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, every now and then he's like, yeah, I made it through. And then all of a sudden he just, he stumbles like a hundred times. Um, you can't, no. you yeah, you can't celebrate before you've crossed the finish line on these. Yeah, you get up for the touchdown before you win the Super Bowl. Well, here we are, just about at the midpoint of the month of April, and you, you know what that means. More pins from fan sets. Yes! You know, I'm, I'm so excited. We always look forward to the 1st and the 15th of every month, and this month absolutely is no exception. So available starting April 15th are Esri Dax from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and then three brand new Pinmoji pins available individually. Captain Benjamin Sisko. Captain Catherine Janeway, and of course, the subject of this very episode today, Captain Jonathan Archer. But I mean, don't forget, if you want to, if you don't want to wait for the, the entire set to be released one or two bins at a time, you can just get the whole shoot and match right now. All the, all the pin emojis, all nine of them at a reduced price of $55.95. That's right. All nine pin emoji, all at once. One incredible price, Casey. Dang, that is incredible. I go to it, people. So seriously, I mean, really, what are you waiting for? Get on over to fansets.com, put a whole bunch of pins, accessories, and other stuff in your cart. And now check out, be sure to enter this week's special Trek Geeks discount code word, Archer. 
That's A-R-C-H-E-R in all capital letters for an amazing 10% off your entire order. This offer will be good until April 21st, 2021 at 11.59 Eastern Daylight Time. Plus, don't you all forget that if you spend more than 30 bucks, you automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. If you haven't checked out the Galaxy's first interactive tribble from Science Division, <clears throat> what, you're, you're really missing out. You know, it, it's it's amazing. This officially licensed tribble is a truly high-quality Star Trek collectible, which we know you're going to be proud to add to your collection. I have one. Dan has one. Casey, I'm sure you've got one kicking around there somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and we truly love them. So much work and creativity went into creating this tribble right down to the softest fur you could possibly imagine. Plus, I mean, the sounds the Tribble makes, they are literally straight out of the original series. You're going to swear this Tribble was delivered straight from the set or even Space Station K7 right to your front door. Plus, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can use to control the Tribble. I mean, it's not necessary, but it is a load of fun to make it scream at people like the annoying guy who's usually on this podcast with Dan Davidson. Hey, wait a second. Uh, that's me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so head on over to sciencediv.com to pick up one of the galaxy's first interactive tribbles for your very own. And plus, because you're a Trek Geeks listener, use the special discount code ARCHER to get five bucks off your tribble today. That's A-R-C-H-E-R in all capital letters. This code is good to use until Wednesday, April 21st at 1159 p.m. Eastern Time. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Casey, this week we consider Starfleet's first captain of a a starship. And that, of course, is um, Jonathan Archer, as played by the 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 legendary the the amazing Scott Bakula for all four seasons of Star Trek Enterprise. Um, when he was announced as the sort of the central figure of the series, how did you feel about Bakula being cast? I liked it, Bill. I really did. Um, having seen him in other stuff and you know Quantum Leap, things like that. Ah, uh, this is a this is a guy who can really lead lead your show he's a proven leading man um and there's just characteristics about him as a person which i thought he brought to a majority of his characters where that you buy into him you buy that he is this character so whether it's a real natural ability of acting or that he does it so well that you can't tell that he's acting uh, that when this was announced, I go, uh, okay, let's let's give it a go. Open-minded, sure. I think that, that Bakula brings a believability and a credibility to the role of Starfleet's first captain. If he were just the captain of the week, which I know he had no interest in, you know, the next captain of, of the ship, um, I, I think it's a different thing. But for the first captain to sort of have that... Um, that sort of wide-eyed, bold spirit. I think that that Bakula was kind of the perfect casting in this sense. Plus, it's like you said. I mean, he's been the top of the call sheet before. You know, he was on Quantum Leap for a number of years. 
uh, it's a, a genre show, so he has some experience uh, doing that. But he's just he's a rock solid guy. When you put good mm-hmm. material in front of Scott Bakula, Scott Bakula kills it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what you're saying right there is very important. When you got good material in front of you, he elevates it to be, I think, very good. And then when the material isn't always wonderful, then I think he does the best possible. So uh, I think that's I think that's very accurate. And, and there are many times in season one of Enterprise where I think that's true. Um, you guys have run into this with some of the early episodes, which are rough, to be fair. Um, yep. Enterprise yep. did not come out of the, the gate being like season seven of Deep Space Nine or season five of Next Gen. Um, like every series, it, it, it had a rough start. Absolutely. And I, I think it would be very surprising if a Star Trek series didn't start out kind of rough. I mean, yeah. really, you know, our, our first two seasons of DS9, not my favorite of that no. show. And and others that, you know, Voyager, everybody, there, there's the learning of not just we've written these characters down, but now seeing them alive and what the actors can do. And these characters change things, improve things. You start getting a history with the characters. And I always, I think for a lot of series, when you first start out and there's, there's no history, things at times feel uh, just topical, not, not yeah. too deep. Yep. So you got to build. No, I agree with that. And I mean, they build on the character in, in a very decent way. I mean, every character starts out with the initial description in the, in the shell Bible. Um, and I'm actually going to go through that right now because it's available on the internet. You can see it if you just Google Star Trek Enterprise Show Bible. But Jonathan Archer was originally Captain Jackson Archer, um, which I didn't know until recently. Uh, because, of course, when this came on, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff wasn't really leaked to the internet then, but it's certainly available now. Um, early 40s, physical, intensely curious, born in raised an explorer by his father, an engineer who worked on the Warp 5 project. So far, so good. Unlike the captains in centuries to come, Archer exhibits a sense of wonder and excitement, as well as a little trepidation about the strange things he will encounter. He holds a grudge against the Vulcans, who he blames for impeding humanity's progress, but his science officer is Vulcan, and he's struggling to reconsider those preconceptions. Although he has a strong sense of duty, He's a bit of a renegade. He's not afraid to question orders or even disobey them if he feels in his gut that he's right. From what they describe mm-hmm. there, aside from the whole, well, let's just call it Vulcan racism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not a description that is unlike any of the other Starfleet captains we've seen today. <laughs> exactly. They've all disobeyed orders. They've mm-hmm. all not been afraid to question them. They've all done what's right if they feel it in their gut, I think. is You think that's fair? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, with you reading that, I was like, this, this is the captain for any series. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, kind of a renegade, but I'm, I'm going to go by my gut. It's like, right. Okay. We've seen that. Now, it's interesting to know that the the three, uh, we'll call them the three lead characters because really Trip to Paul and Archer get more screen time than, than just about everybody else for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, to Paul was originally to Pow. Like Tapau original series yeah. Tapau, but they didn't want to pay the royalty Ugh. for using that character for multiple seasons to the writer, so they changed it to Tapau. Trip was originally Spike. 
<laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm not glad, making this up. I'm glad they made a change there. And allegedly they changed it because there was a spike on Buffy the Vampire Slayer at the time. There was. So they felt like that that wouldn't work. So as I continue on with the the character description, you'll hear those older names referenced because the Bible, of course, was there from the beginning. Um, Archer was there when the first girders were laid on the Enterprise and put into place. And when the Vulcans tried to suspend the maiden launch after the broken bow incident, claiming humans weren't ready for interstellar travel, Archer helped persuade Starfleet to press on. Absolutely true. That still happens. Mm-hmm. Archer has mixed feelings about Tapau. She embodies the arrogance and high mindedness of the Vulcans who kept his father from realizing the dream of space exploration. But he also realizes that Tapau is a more seasoned space traveler and he often relies on her wisdom and experience. At times, he even enjoys her dry sense of humor. Archer and Tapau will continue to butt heads regarding humanity's new role in the intergalactic neighborhood, but they will also develop a long lasting friendship that is rather unique for its day the bond between human and alien. One of the things I really like here is that they kind of told us in the Bible from the get go that what we saw the, the relationship is Archer and to Paul in the final season and the final episodes was they were already laying the groundwork for it. And I, I think that this day is pretty true to who the character was intended to be. I think so. I think so. I mean, I would, I would have liked to see this sooner. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, that would have been wonderful, but I, I, and a little switch up here. I think I'm glad the character is not to pal. Same. Because you have no drama there. You know what happens a hundred years later with this character. So there is absolutely no suspense at all that a true death of of this character would happen. Um, I, I, when you're reading that, boy, he enjoys her dry sense of humor. That that would have been very, I think, beneficial year one. There are times where you see hints of it in year one. Recently, we talked about acquisition. Um, and there's a, a little flash of that when, when T'Pol is freeing Archer from his restraints. You know, uh, and mm-hmm. essentially stops to give him a little grief. You see, <laughs> you see hints of it that would have been really great to expand out through the season. Um, but I, I really think they missed that opportunity early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can totally concur because later, later seasons, when it comes, it's like, yeah, that's the relationship that's working here. And, you know, drew, drew you in more. Yeah. Of, I want more of these people. Well, and they develop, they absolutely develop a bond because, you know, in uh, later on in Twilight, T'Pol essentially leaves the ship and takes Archer to SETI Alpha 5 to, to take care of him because he's mm-hmm. got that memory disorder. I like to call it Star Trek memento. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she, she, they develop a fondness for one another. It's different from love. I mean, it's different from from family, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a fondness that's rooted in respect. And I think that's really important to both characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think with, you know, the two of them going out on this maiden voyage together and learning a lot of different things that, uh, we didn't, from my point of view, I don't think we needed the dumbed down arc 
of, oh, we all hate each other or distrust each other, whatever. And that's eventually going to change. It was, I I felt, God, that's really watered down after all the stuff we've had from other seasons of series before this. Um, So I don't know who, who their target audience was at that particular time, but yeah, I mean, gosh, these, these two, when, when their characters are working, when it's well-written, it's good stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, they both have a rigidity about them in season one. Um, to Paul's because she doesn't like being around humans. Yeah. She obviously doesn't like the smell because they, they make that comment too many times. Um, and and yeah. Archer because there's a Vulcan aboard. And I, I don't think they crack through that early enough in season one. I think it goes on too long, quite honestly. Um, mm-hmm. because they have to work together. I mean, yeah. look at Voyager, you know, the, the series before this, uh, there was Maquis, there's Starfleet three episodes in, you forget there was ever a Maquis. Right. Uh, so they got a little better <laughs> yeah. than that, but <laughs> I, it's almost like they overcompensated in that regard to create the tension that, mm-hmm. that wasn't really believable in a sense. I, yeah, I think so. Cause I, I mean, I wanted my tension to be with, the the new things that they're experiencing. So yes. instead of instead of tension being turned inward, it's outward. Yes. So, more crew. more Star Trekky in yeah, a sense. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But yeah, this is it, it's it's the Berman way of doing things. Um, you know, I'm sure he put the blindfold on the Gene statue in his office and and <laughs> went to work, and that's fine because ultimately, in hindsight, I think it it works as a series. I appreciated the way they did it because it wasn't run of the mill. It wasn't also ran at the time. Starfleet had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the precepts that we've come to take for granted in Starfleet officers. So I, I appreciate some of the chances they took with this character, especially in the first couple of seasons. I hear you. I, you know, seeing someone who is really learning on the job and, yeah. and, and being the, you know, the tip of the spear, as they say, and there aren't all these rules and regulations in place to help you. So, you know, part of that is what are you, what are you thinking right now? How is it going to affect everything right now? Because if right. we don't survive through now, it doesn't matter for anything else. You know, there may be re- repercussions for some type of action, but you got to we got to deal with this right at this moment and and go there's for no it. there's no guideline there's no prime directive there's no yeah. there's no tomorrow in some cases um so they have to figure it out on the fly and i think that's really what kind of makes archer kind of interesting some people viewed him as being very rigid other people viewed him as being too trepidatious which I find really interesting. I never thought that I did think he was rigid at first, but I think he warmed up pretty easily. Um, but I, I never saw the, the, in, the inability to make a decision with Archer. I just felt like he was afraid to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I hear you. He seemed to be able to go. I think this is right. And then maybe talk to somebody else and they give him a different viewpoint and he goes, okay, well, you know, you're bringing up some good points there. So yeah. on that of, of kind of like rigid with first, first decisions, but then when getting more information, an ability to 
you know, not flip flop, but, but go, okay, Hey, my first instinct or my first thinking on here wasn't fully complete. Right. So yeah, I, I always thought about that, that he was, uh, he was able to adapt and then adopt really easy. And so, yeah, good quality to have. I can see that the the character Bible also brings up uh, Spike or or Trip in, in in much shorter detail. They go through a much longer explanation of his relationship with Tapao than they really do with Spike. It's just a couple of sentences. Archer is something of a mentor to Spike, and although he enjoys Spike's unique sense of humor, he's also aware of what other people might think of his chief engineer. There are times when the captain has to keep him in line. That's it. Yeah. Uh, There's no talk of them having served together. There's no talk of the real existing relationship. I have to believe that some of that came later as they were breaking some of the stories um, because they needed to create a friend for Archer. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. Cause otherwise this, it almost sounds like he's babysitting. It really does. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, okay, Hey, this guy's a good engineer, but I have all these other responsibilities I'd be dealing with. And then on top of that, I'm kind of, you know, shadowing this clown <laughs> to make sure nothing gotta, happens. I got to keep this, this idiot in line. Um, I, I, I didn't read the, the character entry for Spike. Um, I probably should have, because I'm wondering how far off the mark that was. Um, mm. But that's another topic for another time. Um, the last entry in the character Bible for Jonathan Archer says, the Kirks and Picards and Janeway's will one day have the benefit of the captains who preceded them. But Jackson Archer is the prototype. He's making history with every light year because he knows his captain's logs will be studied for years to come. He keeps especially detailed reports. The logs themselves will be both personal and humorous. I think that one totally misses the mark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. As I'm like, <clears> hmm. <throat> uh, I can see see Archer being the prototype. Okay. Yes. I I can see him being a pioneer with you so far. Yes. Um, Especially detailed reports. Yeah. That's why nobody knows about the Ferengi or the Borg in the future. Right. Yeah. That that didn't happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Personal and humorous. No, no, that, and I was like going, what, what, what personal in the reports? It's like that you're a different person who's reading them. So great for you who wrote it, that it it goes to you. But if you're reading this and you've never say it's 60, 70 years later, you know, you've never met this captain Archer and you're reading something. And if it's personal and humorous, do you know it's humorous? Is it supposed to be sarcastic? Is this like, like you're questioning, what was this guy? (laughs) Just tell me, give me the facts. Give me the facts of what's happening here. Yeah. Agree. Boy, it's mm. it's really kind of interesting. I, mean, I think the closest they ever get to the personal and humorous is the time where they have to send the message back home to the school kids, and Trip complains because he has to talk about poop. Poop. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the closest they ever get to that, and it's not even a captain's log. It's not even a captain's log. And when Archer is doing that one, he seems like super stressed out yeah. for a thing for fourth graders, like. Dude, you can record this as many. It's digital files. You don't like it? Start again. <laughs> and they do multiple times. Well, Trip ain't having it. He's like, I'm not going to be the poop engineer. I felt bad for that, man. <laughs> so I, I think 
for at least from my perspective, with the exception of that last bit, I think the backstory stays pretty true to who they intended Archer to be and and mm-hmm. who Scott Bakula wound up portraying. I do think that the Kirks and the Picards and the Janeways and the Cisco's because they left Cisco out. Yeah. Um, have the benefit of Archer's wisdom in being the pioneer. I can see little bits of each of those captains in Jonathan Archer. Uh, I can yeah. see Kirk okay. in the way he just sort of takes these things on, you know, sometimes with fists first. Mm-hmm. I can see the the contemplative nature with Picard. I can see the, the the way that he tries to bond the crew together like Janeway and the way he approaches problems. And even with Cisco, there are times where Archer gets angry mm-hmm. and it's well-deserved and you've got to keep people in line. And I, I think that he touches all those bases. Absolutely. When you, when you think about it, that that's a well-rounded character who basically can really uh, step into the show for us in certain things of, you know what? Yeah. At times I might react that way. Feelings first before thinking, okay, we're out here all by ourselves. There's gotta be some camaraderie going on and collegiality, or this is going to be an awful awful time out there. And yeah, every once in a while, the little swift kick in the butt of, Hey, enough of that crud. This is what you got to do. And it's not a discussion. This, this isn't a democracy right here. I am the captain. Thank you. And I, I think that Archer straddles that line very well and knows when he has to operate on either side of it. Um, I think yeah, that's one of true. the things I like about Archer very much. Um, he's really good at at building a team mm-hmm. because his team does work very well together. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when it comes down to it and he needs to dress trip down or whatever, it happens uh, without hesitation. Archer's not afraid to put him back in line and and to do it very squarely. Um, I, I I think that that's probably the thing that is most important the most important quality archer has as uh, as the pioneer is he's still a little bit military in a way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. still very measured still very metered well you you have to have a foundation the foundation has to be stable because everything else that they're doing there is no foundation Er, you know everything's coming in new so you know you have to have a your hub your rock, whatever you want to call it, that you know how this person's going to act and you know how this person is going to expect you to behave or act. So, so you take out one less complication for everything yeah. else that's coming at you. You really do. You know, we've talked a little bit about his relationship with Paul and with Trip. Um, but I mean, clearly he has a unique relationship with each of the characters. I really love the relationship that Archer has with Hoshi, even if he does, um, kind of gaslight her to get her on board. <laughs> oh, he totally strong armed her, <laughs> totally strong armed her to get her on board. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, she was, she was going to come aboard. We knew Linda Park was, was Hoshi and she was going to be the communications officer, but he essentially set her up in a situation where she was going to be so curious that she had to come aboard. Um, yeah. I, I like the relationship they have. I like how green she is and how seasoned he is. I like it when at times he's, he's got to tell her to snap out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a relationship I really value on that bridge crew. 
I, I I hear what you're saying on that because when when you see those two, I think that encapsulates for a lot of people different aspects of themselves, one person, yeah, but represented by two. Um, and besides when you're we're seeing new things and new peoples and new cultures and all that, um, you know, how long does the excitement stay? Are you really jazzed every single time? Or like you say, if you get seasoned after a while, it's like, Hey, I mean, it's still intriguing, but it may not be thrilling anymore. But, and then how do you keep doing the job you're supposed to do? And that it doesn't become rote. You're not like, oh, okay, I got to learn another language now. It's like, no. It's like, oh, man, here's another one. And boy, her her job, really, I keep going back to it. It's like you are affecting everything after you in a huge way because you're doing a lot of the work so somebody else doesn't have to later and that they can then build upon what you've done. And, you know. I, I dig Hoshi and, yeah. and there also seems to be a little bit of a, a, you know, the big brother, little sister deal going on there. I think there's a lot of that. And I think that's why I like it so much. I mean, it's more than just superior officer and subordinate. There's, there's mm-hmm. a humanity at the core of the relationship that says, you know, um, we've had this relationship before. I knew you before you were, you got to my ship. Um, I trust you. That's why you're here. And I really appreciate that sort of brother, sister, interplay that that they seem to give off at times i really also like um the uncomfortable relationship that archer has with reed because i think archer likes it that way i think he (laughs) likes (laughs) i think he likes making reed uh stumble over his words and a little uncomfortable because malcolm is very uh, malcolm is very rigid put together he's very british in that sense you know, um, mm-hmm. he's, he's the armory officer, you know, he's, you know, y- yes, captain. Um, and I, I think that Archer likes that Malcolm is just so tightly wound because deep down inside, I think Archer wants to mess with him. Oh, most definitely. Cause you, you know, it'd be, I'll, all I have to do is just a tiny little push to push <laughs> this dude. And you can just laugh internally and and you know we know people like that where everything has to be in its place at all times and this and this and this and this and it's like you know you just you just move that pen to the edge of the table and wait for them to see it it's like what are you doing so (laughs) yeah there's there's a good amount of uh i think little play there that he wants to do i think so i mean that's a relationship that becomes increasingly comfortable over time but I, there are times where Malcolm is just not sure how to how to act around Archer. It's very yeah. prevalent in season one. I like <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I'm there for it. But I, I like it when Archer makes Malcolm slightly uncomfortable because I think we get better Malcolm. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Then there's there's more to that character. Yeah. If if everybody's treated the same or has the same type of reaction with each other, there's no drama there. You know. Exactly. Um, I, I wish they had done more between Archer and Mayweather. Yeah. Um, there's, there's the scene, you know, in the episode where, where Mayweather goes back to his family's uh, freighter ship. Freighter. And um, was the fortunate? I, uh, I uh, is the fortunate no. son episode? 
Well, he talks about he talks about his family in that one. But, okay, well, there's whatever the episode is. Every somebody's going to at me, and that's fine. I don't remember the episode name. Off I don't either. Head, that's cool. Um, but you know, Malcolm comes back to the ship, and he has a great conversation with with Archer, and and they develop kind of a rapport. They understand each other a little more, and that I think we needed more of those moments between the captain and the helmsman who is looking to him for, for guidance and inspiration and as a mentor. I really think mm-hmm. there was a, a great opportunity for a mentor-mentee relationship there that ultimately just didn't happen. And that's really my biggest disappointment between those two characters. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, Travis is a very knowledgeable character, very, very um, emotional, but emotionally controlled. But it's like yeah. when, when there are certain things coming on, he's, he's like, no, that's BS or we need to do this. And I, I found that refreshing <laughs> to have a character like that. And yeah, if there was supposed to be some mentor mentee type deal, I didn't really see that happen. And I, you know, wanted more Mayweather through everything. Ultimately. Yeah. Uh, and and then lastly, I mean, I, I really like the relationship that Archer has with Flocks, because it, <laughs> yeah. even though it's it, they're very different characters, it reminds me a lot of the relationship that Kirk has with Bones. I w- um, I hear you, Flocks. Flocks is he is his own. I'm going to experience every dang thing possible. I'm going to enjoy it, even if it maybe isn't fully enjoyable, but I'm learning something new and is just this kid in a candy store every <laughs> single moment. Yes. Yes. He wants to, he's like V'ger in a sense. He wants to observe all that's observable and learn all that's knowable. Um, or even nomad or, you know, one of those, one of those robotic probes that inspired the other one. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I appreciate the honesty that exists between those two characters. Mm. I appreciate the trust and, and it's another alien relationship that Archer kind of has to get used to and power through. You know, it helps him, I think, in in preparing to deal with some of these new races that they're encountering. I, I think that if he doesn't have a good relationship with Flocks, he he just there's no way he can be <laughs> there's no way he can be a captain of the Enterprise. Well, absolutely. I mean, think about it. Archer just storms into Flox's surgery room, like Hey, don't worry about my germs. I'm just coming in here. I want to see what's going on. First episode. And then just, you know, ding, ding, ding on the window of like, hey, you, you're coming with me. We're, we're going on an adventure. Let's roll. Yeah. <laughs> and and Flox is, is uh, pliable in that way of like, well, yeah, okay. Because I want, I want to check out new stuff. Sure. We got a gig to see things. I'm with you. Let's roll. Flox isn't afraid to stand up to him either, which is the other thing I really appreciate. Um, For as much as they are all pioneers, I think that I see a lot of the other chief medical officers in Flox as well. Mm. Um, And I think that that's really what makes uh, both Bakula and Billingsley just really work very well together on screen. Yep. I I concur with you. I mean, I don't know much more I could add to that, but you're nailing it. So getting back to Scott Bakula a little bit. Um, we talked about the qualities he brings to the role. He does have this gravitas that's entirely believable as the captain of a Star Trek. We mentioned that he's got experience as a series lead, but, um, here's the one that really kind of made me just go, huh? 
So Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, the, the two executive producers and creators of, of Enterprise, later Star Trek Enterprise, wanted, quote, a down-to-earth Harrison Ford kind of guy, end quote. Did they get that? Hmm. Because wow. I don't I don't see Harrison Ford. No, I don't either. Um a Harrison Ford kind of guy. So I mean, is this I know I don't I what I I get from Bacula is more and I can't remember his name right now. Sorry about this because he's very, very good. But the actor who played Chuck Yeager in the right stuff. Um, I'm looking it up and, right now. OK. And, you know, there's there's just a trueness to that actor. And something where you go, all right, you know, there's there's some uh, presence there, not an overwhelming, but somebody you go, I'd like that guy. I'd follow that guy. Sam Shepard. Oh, Sam Shepard. Love him in, in the right stuff. Yeah, he's fantastic. So, yeah, I don't know if if we got what they wanted right there. I kind of I kind of get the sense they wanted an uh, you know like a, an everyday man. And I don't get that when I look at Harrison Ford. Not even when he plays Indiana Jones. Certainly yeah. not as Han Solo or any of his other roles. Um, but it's interesting to know that the only actor they seriously considered as Archer was Scott Bakula. Mm-hmm. Um, there are reports that Simon McCorkendale, who was oh yeah, Manimal, okay. yeah, wow, <laughs> in the early eighties, different show, um, baby. Woo! He alleges that he was offered the part, but there's uh, th- that's never been confirmed or corroborated by Berman or Braga. Uh, hmm. Braga did say, uh, "quote Scott Bakula, Scott Bakula was an actor who was pretty much the actor who we had in mind all along for the role." We actually had a meeting with Scott to discuss the character and he just seemed so perfect. He seemed like he really was Jonathan Archer. He was not your typical spit and polish captain. He was more of an everyday guy with some extraordinary abilities who was perfect. And people kind of knew Scott Bakula. So you felt like you kind of knew the guy already. So in every regard, Scott was just perfect for the role End quote. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we know, I feel like we know Archer, even though we're just, we're getting to know him in Enterprise simply just mm-hmm. because he's Sam Beckett. He's Sam Beckett. I mean, yeah, when you, when you've done 97 episodes yeah. of Quantum Leap, so what, five seasons of network television? Yeah. Yeah, you're known. And, and then there's this little familiarity, even if it's a new character, comfortableness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's not like we have to totally learn who this guy is. You go, all right. I I think I would know pretty much the type of character this actor will play. Um, I'm not sure what the the typical spit and polish captain. I mean, how how could you be on the first mission going out? I I don't think you can be. I, I think that I here's what I think really happened. All right. I think they had this this character in mind. Somebody saw Bacula and said, that's who we got to write the show for. Mm, okay. I, uh, this has never been stated. This has never even been theorized, but this is my theory. I think that they wrote the character to fit the kind of actor Scott Bacula is and not the reverse. Well, that makes sense because I don't think anyone went out and said, hey, let's get Manimal. 
<laughs> Captain Manimal. Right? Rar. I, I hear what you say. Yeah. Play to his strengths. Change well, the character it. to the actor. That's it. Play to the strengths. The guy is, he's a known quantity. He's very likable, extremely likable. Um, yes. Yes. But, but here's the thing though. So he wasn't extremely likable to everybody because Enterprise almost didn't get a fourth season because the network wanted Bacula dumped as Archer. Wow. UPN um, wanted wow. Bacula gone and Berman refused. Good. Good for Berman. So they thought changing the captain was going to fix all the issues, the story issues. And the ratings. Yeah. And whatever else. But honestly, Bacula was what was keeping it where it was, in my opinion, because he's that solid. Mm-hmm. I, that, I think, would have been a huge death blow. You, you change the captain like that, and then if you're, if you're really not changing like the writing staff and the producing structure... It, it doesn't matter. This is like this is like changing to Paul's costume. Yeah, doesn't matter. Let's like matter. oh okay, it was that you know funky brown white type of thing. All the stuff. Oh now it's red or okay now it's blue. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Ooh, it's man. now it, it doesn't hurt that you know at the time when they got their fourth season renewal, there was a regime change and somebody who liked Enterprise and Bacula very much essentially said no, we're keeping him. But it's yeah. interesting that the network just didn't want to press on with Bacula, even though, I mean, he, he's a proven quality. Um, this this kind of really doesn't make sense to me. Because it's, it's like you're doing a hard restart. The first yeah. two years don't matter because now you have another captain that has to build all these relationships all over again. And guess what? We've seen that. Because it's not like they can promote a character on the show to be captain. Porthos. Not, tri- captain yeah, Porthos. Captain. I would watch that show. Wouldn't it be cool? They just go around in circles. <laughs> you know, so Kurtzman is really missing an opportunity here because what I want in my life is Star Trek Porthos. This could be an animated show. That would be at least a short trek, which would be so cool. Porthos, oh. the space exploring dog. <laughs> I like it. You see, they did, you know, a night in sickbay on Enterprise. They should have done a day in the life of Porthos and shot the entire episode from Porthos's point of view um, as he all, yeah, roams the ship. Sho- I think all that shoes, shoes and pant legs. And that's and, like it. And the camera tilting up from the floor, looking up at everything, looking up for cheese. <laughs> going, Why are you so stingy with the cheese? Come on. I think this is my largest criticism of Archer is that he just was really stingy on the cheese. You brought a dog to outer space. There's no trees. There's no grass. It's all metal. It can't be wonderful. There's no new smells. This dog's got to be bored out of its mind. Give the dog as much cheese as it wants. Can you imagine being the poor yeoman on that ship that has to clean up after Porthos? Ding dong. <laughs> Urine specimen deck five turbo lip four. Bring the paper towels. Clean up on deck C section thirty one. <laughs> yeah, I I always think about that because I think about the the guys and gals bringing in food, you know, in the captain's little eating area, and it's like, do are they just waiting in the hallway for everybody to finish? Are they going back, you know, yeah. to the kitchen, or or is it they go, hey, as soon as you finished putting the food down, 
hang out for a little bit. And if everything's fine, all right, then you got to go and you're on, you're on poop patrol. Yeah. Who knows? Or damn patrol. Um, I say that <laughs> Miss you, buddy. Um, so I, we've talked about the reasons why we like Archer. We liked his optimism. We like his flexibility. We love the fact that he learns from his mistakes. But I think one of the qualities that truly sets him apart is his warmth. Yes. There is a there is an innate compassion and empathy in Jonathan Archer that we don't necessarily see all the time in in James T. Kirk or maybe early TNG Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, and certainly not Ben Sisko all the time. But there is a there's a real ability to take a step back that Archer has and to feel. And I think mm-hmm. that's really what makes this particular Star Trek captain, the most different of all of them. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it, we were just, I mean, just talking about a dog. He's bringing, a, he brings a living creature with him. That's that besides all the humans and or aliens on the ship, this creature depends on him all the time. So you not only have the crew you're looking out for, but you have this, this other entity and there's, there's something very, uh, charming about, yeah. I'm going to be here alone. I want my dog. I'm going to come out here. All these other people are, they didn't get to bring their dog. They, they're they not with their family. How, how am I going to help them get through this? Even if they're having a great time. <laughs> Captain's discretion. <laughs> <laughs> he wants his dog. He's bringing the dog. I, yeah, I thank God he didn't like giraffes, but that, you know, <laughs> Enterprise is too small a ship for that. They don't even have a cargo bay big enough for that. <laughs> but yeah, it, and I think the warmth you're talking about, Bill, also comes because that's Bacula to yeah. me in everything else I've seen him in. You know, he does, he's done over basically 350 hours or episodes of network television. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, the guy can do it, but I also, I checked it out on IMDb and a lot of his guest roles were on. So he, Murphy Brown designing women state of the union was, was a Tracy Ullman show, new adventures of old Christine, desperate housewives. And I go, you know, what do, what do all these shows have in common? Well, they're led by really strong female characters. Yeah. And and he gets goes in there and he keeps getting the gigs. So he does a good job and you know has has that warmth as an actor and a character. And and this is, goes to then one of my beefs with the show is with him having done all these things with strong female characters, you know, did he have behind the scenes talks of beefing up the roles for Hoshi or to Paul? And that because man, he worked with he worked with Tracy Ullman, Julie Dreyfus, Candace Bergen, I mean Dixie Carter, G Smart, the, the Desperate Housewives. He's on that for a while, so he's used to working with shows that women can lead. These shows, not a problem, and he's got to be wonderful to work with. If I mean, he keeps getting asked back. Well, and if you, you think of some of these panels that happen with some of the other actors from Enterprise, there is, uh, it, it's not like faint praise of Scott Bakula. 
everybody sings his praises pretty universally and talks about how much they love Scott. Um, it's, it's not a shock to me that the guy seems to be who everybody thinks he is. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go so far as to say, I don't think the character of Archer works nearly as well if somebody other than Scott Bakula gets cast. I yeah. just don't think it's the same character. I, I, you're, I think you're dead on. I mean, said earlier, I think you're very, very dead on that. Hey, let's make this character more like Scott as opposed to then let's, let's form Scott into the character. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any particular favorite Archer episodes that come to mind? Um, I've, mm. I've really only got a couple um, and it's because I love them. Like, like as much as I like in part of my like all time favorite Star Trek episodes, but okay, do you have you any go, that uh, you want me to go well, first? You, you go first on this. So I can think, I think that twilight is one of Star Trek's best hours. And it's good because of Jolene Blaylock and it's good because of Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula delivers one of his best performances as Archer. One of the, one of his best performances on television in this episode. And it's just so believable. And so you feel everything that Archer's feeling. Um, I really like broken bow as a premiere. It sets a tone and, and that tone is set from captain Archer right on down. For me, that really works. Um, I, I'm a big. This is this is <laughs> this is yeah. going to earn me some some ats on Twitter. I really like these are the voyages from the Archer perspective. Okay, if you look yes. at where that character goes to mm-hmm. and what his end game is in that episode. No pun intended. I. I really like what that means for Archer. So in that sense, I like that episode for the character. Um, but uh, uh, what's the, uh, the Western episode? Um, oh God. The name I've just blank. I'm, I'm two episodes have blanked on the name, but uh, North star, North star. Um, uh, that's without looking it up. Uh, I love that episode for Archer too, because I mean, I love, I love Westerns. So and he gets to have a little fun right. and chew some scenery. So those right. are kind of my favorite Archer outings. Uh, what about you? Okay. Well, I want to talking about the Western yeah. Archer's Gary Cooper. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely is. That's and it's perfect. He is. It's perfect. So he's more, he's Gary Cooper. He's not Harrison Ford. That just goes <laughs> into my head about yeah. a bunch of other stuff. Like, okay, that works. As I think like Azadi prime where Archer yeah basically gives the speech of, Hey, this is a one-way mission. I know it. I'm going to do it. When, once all this crud is done, y'all get back to what we're supposed to be doing, exploring, meeting new people, do all this. Um, you know, saying in his own way, I'm damn proud of all of you. You're a great crew. So that one sticks with me. And then, you know, favorite episode of it's Archer slash Bacula where these are the voyages were what you said, because I go, I think Bakula carried himself off very well for what I consider his finale being hijacked from him. Yeah. And to give the performance that he did while probably not, I don't, I don't know his emotional state at the time, but I'd, I'd be ticked off um, uh, yeah. about that. And, and, rightfully he, so. and, he, and he still, brings it and he stays professional. So that, that one is where it blurs the line for me, where 
I hear you. Where his character has come from, where he is, where he may go into the future, aspects of that episode are great, and the rest, blah. That hug with T'Pol at the end is everything. Right. It, it tells you everything you need to know about where Jonathan Archer has come to in his life. Um, you wouldn't see Kirk do that. No. You're not going to see Picard do that aboard the Enterprise. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's not going to happen. But this tells you about what's important to Archer. Absolutely. And, and, she, and she doesn't recoil. No, she doesn't. Right? It doesn't. Not, there's no complaint about scent or any of that that BS. It's just like, yeah, these these two now are really close. And that's, see, that's, that's the charmingness of Bacula Archer, where it's like, why so late in the game? Bring this sooner, baby. Bring this sooner. Because the guy is incredibly likable. And that character can be incredibly likable as well. And... I, I think, you know, the show would get more more respect. Would have gotten maybe another season or two. I think so, but I think it I think that it's because of those qualities now that so many people have discovered Enterprise and are watching it and rewatching it mm. to the point where I, I, I think that people love, genuinely love Enterprise. Um in a way that they didn't realize back twenty years ago. Um, I, it's, it's been fun to rewatch because uh, I've rewatched it recently and it's better than I remember because the UPN broadcast schedule was just so hit and miss. It was just like with Voyager, it'd be yeah. on for two weeks and then there'd be baseball or hockey or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it would preempt and there. Maybe it would show at like 1130 on a Friday or, you know, they, they'd adjust here and there, but it's when you get to actually, I think binging has helped with enterprise because you get to go on the journey and not miss a week or have a rerun thrown in to to break up the pace i think that really matters with enterprise i would i would agree because it being so you know episodic and certain things you know after we had ds9 after we had voyagers things with big arcs and then not having them to be able to binge it's it's fresher it's it's in your head you know there's little things like we're going through season one uh, right now on discovering enterprise, but there's like little tidbits of, you know, Forrest saying, Hey, you know, thanks for the report on the comet. That was kind of cool. And I go, Oh, that was from last episode. So there's these little yeah. references that start to build. You're like, okay, we're, we're building the world around here and it's all connected and it will all matter. And it won't be, Hey, we got the ship kicked out of us, you know, last week, but the ship's fine again. No, it's <laughs> stuff that'll build stuff that'll build. Well, uh, you know what else builds Casey? That is mm. your love of the band five-year mission. When you listen to them oh. for copious oh. amounts of time. Hell yeah. Um, I'm a huge five-year mission fan. I know you love the band. You love their music, but we want everyone out there to head to fiveyearmission.net, get all of their albums. Seriously. Year one, two, three, four, Spock's brain, trouble with tribbles. Get those CDs shipped to your house because physical media is key. And, yep. and just listen to the band. They're every bit of music you hear on Trek Geeks. Um, we've come to love them. And of course, they have a very smartly named podcast on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It's Five Year Mission, the podcast. Yeah. Hard to hard to believe that that it took a team of people in a room five weeks to come up with that name. But it did. <laughs> And it works. But seriously, fiveyearmission.net, go out there, get all their albums, because we swear you're going to become a huge fan. Oh, I would agree. You know, Bill, like like Dan watches 
all these weird alternate universe episodes of Trek. And, you know, he sees some pretty interesting stuff related to five-year mission. Yeah. Now, while I didn't see that this week, I will admit I did see something similar. In fact, the other night I saw this episode about a brilliant scientist who downloads his consciousness into data, much like the regular co-host of this show. To know him was to love him, and to love him was to know him. Those who knew him loved him, while those who did not know him loved him from afar. And I'm talking, of course, about the second season next-gen episode, The Schizoid Dan. Wow. Um, you're well. You're welcome. Well, what you can, we didn't. You can throw money at me. <laughs> we didn't get a farkism. We did at least get a Danism. Um, and yeah. this is what happens when <laughs> we let anybody in that chair. Hey, I figured switch it up a little bit, see what's going on, and you know, throw some love towards Danny boy. Well, um, fiveyearmission.net, please go get all their albums and prevent more Danisms. Um, at least until Dan's <laughs> return. Don't forget, you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get all kinds of exclusive perks. Can we? You can. In fact, you have. Oh my God. You know what? That's right. We have shirts. There's the exclusive Patreon pins from our friends at Fansets. And pretty soon, there'll be some new perks that we'll be announcing. So stay tuned. And trust me, you're going to love them. But right now, we'd like to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We're so grateful for their support. And those associate producers are Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad Demog, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mellenkopf, Casey Pettit, nice name, Tim Robertson, <laughs> Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Sadar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tetralt, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Ron Werble, and the gracious and wonderful, also two things? Yeah. The gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Well, <laughs> that's not bad for a cold read. Nicely done. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Leonel Marchand, Rick Mason, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, some idiot named Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, <gasps> Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. Casey, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the frequently fantastic Jude Tatman. Jude is the dude, man. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? You too can become producer on the Trek Geeks Network. And it's so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today for all the details. Casey, next time on Trek Geeks, we're going to look at an episode of Voyager that's a favorite of a lot of people, particularly the shippers. 
<laughs> yeah, this is an episode that definitely showed the captain and first officer in a very different setting as they're dropped off on a planet to live the rest of their lives together. Or so we think. Next week, it's the season two episode, Resolutions, right here on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. For even more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts on the network. Of course, in addition to Discovering Trek, which that idiot Casey is on, uh, Rewind, ah. which the lovely co-host of Discovering Trek, Sarah, is on, yeah. Follow Trek's five-year mission, Deep Space Pride, Infinite Trek, and the Divine Treasury, we are insanely proud to bring you the Sci-Fi Sisters as the latest addition to the Trek Geeks podcast network. They are awesome, and we hope you'll check out their podcast dropping fortnightly on Fridays. You can find all our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks podcast network. No one talks Trek like we do. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 256 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Cuckoo for coconuts. Wow, that's <laughs> That's probably the most tame that's ever been. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I felt it was overplayed. Typically. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. heard those dulcet tones live and in person in quite some time hello kenny loggins hey hey, i'm all right baby how are you doing (laughs) (laughs) so uh, obviously people who have listened to the episode um have have discovered that dan's not here but if you're listening to the patreon version you actually hear this first so dan is not with us this week it's you and me casey and this is the first time i've actually recorded trek geeks without dan really yeah. Oh man. Well, well then I'm honored to be filling his shoes as as well as I possibly can. Can't replace typically- the man, but no, no, no one could. And we typically take a week off in a, in a situation like that. But Dan was like, "No, you, you guys really should just do the episode." I'm like, "Okay, that's okay. cool. Cool." Not that he didn't want to do it. He just didn't want to delay the episode anymore after we changed up the schedule last week. So I got gotcha. you absolutely. So now you get to talk about. Captain Archer. Uh, Jonathan Archer. Hello there. I tell you. Yeah, I. this is actually, uh, it was working out really well because with the stuff that Sarah and I are doing for Enterprise, um, I've been specifically trying to not 
remember <laughs> certain things and to not <laughs> get ahead of myself because I really don't want to influence her in any way right, uh, right. or something. Uh, and then for myself, I don't want to do that either. And boy, it, it, you know, this was like, oh, all right. I, I have an excuse now. I have a reason where I can check out some other things and revisit the arch. The arch man? The arch nemesis? The archster. So, and now you have seen Enterprise all the way through before, right? Yes. Yeah. Just a level uh, set for people listening. Yeah. The the original run, whenever yeah. and whatever syndication, I think it was channel 44 here. KBHK channel 12, which was really channel 44. And so that made no sense. Well, in Boston, it was UPN 38, which was really channel 12 on a lot yeah. of cable systems. So. Right. <laughs> like, where, where are you? What am I watching? But yeah, I'm jazzed. Yeah, this, this is pretty awesome. Fun. Now, for those who who aren't familiar with your dulcet tones, you um you co-hosted Discovering Trek with us to do Lower Decks, and then um, both you and Sarah, and then you both stayed on and took over the reins of Discovering Trek to do Enterprise. Sarah, who's never seen it before, you who have, um, and you've kind of been really just leeching off us the last several years. Well, how am I going to get free drinks at Vegas if I don't <laughs> do this? stuff and and then proclaim loudly i love doing it this is the best thing ever midweek i would ever want to do on the entire planet (laughs) (laughs) liar um people have heard you on trek geeks before though because you you play a a bit of a role in episode 100 our uh our journey to star trek continues and then we did the the lost audio from kingsland episode um, last year, I think it was you, yes, God, you were at least so. 40 minutes of that episode. I think. <laughs> God, um, just cause you wouldn't <laughs> shut the hell up, <laughs> but you were, you were one of the producers of, of the, the acclaimed web series, Star Trek continues. Correct. Correct. I was a producer and I was the unit production manager for a majority of the episodes until it had been like, you know, three years where I'd used all my vacation time. Yeah. Uh, f- filming and was was wiped out. I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done doing all this other stuff, but I will continue being a producer and, and that. So, yeah, and that's where, you know, got to meet you crazy knuckleheads down in Georgia at the <laughs> Jingles sets. and short bus. Jingles and short bus. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really kind of amazing to think that that was just like five and a half years ago. It is, isn't it? Time, you know, time really has had no meaning for for, for a while. <laughs> Nothing. It's like all I really can tell is by when I'm hungry, <laughs> and then is it light out or is it dark out? Yeah. And then, really. and then it, it's like, what day is it? I I I don't know. It's for people who can't see you, because obviously we don't record the video during these things. You have Ugh. now these flowing locks and you look like, <laughs> as I've said on Discovering Trek before, the love child of Kenny Loggins and Kenny Rogers. Um, well, yeah. Um, it, I, I just kind of made the decision uh, at the beginning of lockdown. Um, I told my wife, I go, I'm done cutting my hair until, you know, this is over. And then <laughs> about six months in, I said, you know, I think I'm just done cutting my hair. 
and and I said, and anytime if you bring it up of like, hey, you know, how about getting a little trim or something? I'm going to go three months months longer without getting a haircut. <laughs> but yet so, you've been trimming your beard. Absolutely. Because that annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> because you didn't want to look like 70-year-old ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> Give me all your loving, all your hugs and kisses too. Yeah. Um, there, there had to be some type of uh, trade-off. I mean, you know it. You can go do. full beard or, or the Fu Manchu or just the mustache or, or just the, as I can call it, the oatmeal catcher under the lip <laughs> <laughs> type thing. But there's got to be some type of trade-off. I, uh, I had a beard for a good chunk of the winter. It's really the first time I'd ever really grown my beard out, my beard out because I said, you know what? Screw it. I, I really don't care. I'm not going anywhere. Um, the first three months of the pandemic, I didn't have a haircut. So I felt like really shaggy, but it got worse because, you know, you can see the, the gray is really growing at my temple and you can see it when my hair gets long. And it was annoying me because all I could see were the two gray spots here and here <laughs> at my temples. So the only reason I keep my hair cut short, Casey, is so that I don't see the gray. Oh man, you could embrace it like this. When I, I met you, your hair was brown. Right. I know. This is what <laughs> knowing us has done to you. Oh my God. You guys have aged me so much. My sciatica is killing me and I don't even know what a sciatica <laughs> is. You had that uh, removed. Did I? Okay. Back good. in the war. <laughs> I hope, I hope it got me some money. Like, like they it. found, they found me in a tub somewhere full of ice and just said, Oh, Hey, you know, there's five grand on the table. So I just finished watching justified. Um, oh. All six seasons. I'd seen seasons one through four like multiple times, and I just I would get distracted, or you know, there'd be a bright shiny thing, and I get distracted away from seasons five and six. But there's an episode in season four, I think it is, where one of the characters um, essentially, you know, gets uh, incapacitated, wakes up in a bathtub, and is told both oh. his kidneys are gone. He's not the <gasps> brightest bulb in the drawer; they're not gone. Okay. Um, but when you said that, uh, immediately all I could think of was you as Dewey Crow from from Justified, because you're not that bright either. Well, it's been fun co-hosting this segment of <laughs> Strike Geeks. Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, when I take that shot with Dan, um, he just has no response. That's probably the best response I've had in years. You're going to keep me on my toes. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's point counterpoint, you know, having... Having an older brother, it's like if you don't, if you're not ready with the retort right away, then there's nothing. Because yeah, yeah, it used to be he was six. He's six years older than me, so we'd be walking down the the hallway to our room or something, and he'd just like shove me against the wall. You know, <laughs> I'm like what the hell? So I kind of let that go off for a while, and then he'd do it again. And one time, I just turned around and just nailed him in the nuts. And I was probably six; he was twelve. And it was, you know, it's just like, hey, don't ever, don't ever push me into the wall again. <laughs> in my house, because I'm, I'm like the eighth of nine kids in my house. Oh man. Um. See, so, you now my father had three sons when he met my mother, who had four girls. Okay. And then they got married in '67. I was born in 1969, and my sister, my younger sister, in '72. Now, at one point, we were all together in one house with one bathroom. No. Yeah. My old man didn't have a shower throughout the entirety of the 1970s. Like a, like a warm shower. It was always cold. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and 
so there were really two kinds of people in, in my house, depending on the time of day. If it was mealtime, it was quick or hungry. And if it was every other time, it was quick or wounded. <laughs> so that that story you tell me about your brother just you know intermittently pushing you into a wall uh, i can relate to right and you're like and absolutely and with this amount of siblings you had i mean one point he and i were i mean we never fought fought but we wrestled quite a bit we wrestled one time and literally put like this three-foot divot in the sheetrock <laughs> And my mom like came in and she was like, oh, boys, you know, the, the quintessential wait till your father comes home. Oh, yeah. And it really was because neither of us knew how to sheetrock <laughs> or texture or paint or any of that. So, oh, that's because you didn't grow up on the west side of Manchester. Oh, there's an R at the end of that? Manchester? Well. To most people in New Hampshire, there are. It's the people in Massachusetts to whom there is not. Oh, see, I learn something new every day. You know, the, the stereotype for New England is, yeah, Manchester. You know, no. And I don't even do a Boston accent. Well, because I'm not from Boston. Well, good. Then, yeah. Then you, you know, shouldn't have a good accent. My wife grew up just outside of Boston. And her mass accent, when it kicks in, is oh. obviously flawless. <laughs> and she makes fun of me when I do mine. Um, it's funny because you've watched the movie The Fighter, right? With Christian Bale? Yes. Um, obviously, Mark Wahlberg is in that movie. Christian mm -hmm. Bale does a better Boston accent than Mark Wahlberg does. And Wahlberg is from Boston. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm yeah. not going to say anything about the acting ability of someone, but I'm not surprised. <clears throat> Yeah. And so for, with your wife, what is what is like one of the uh, things that will set off that accent? Talking about what I refer to as the homeland. Um, <laughs> you know, if she starts talking about, you know, a story about, you know, growing up there, she will immediately slip into it. Um, occasionally, if she's been overserved, um, you know, by a bartender, um, mm -hmm. it will occur. But more often than not, all she has to do is talk about, you know, growing up or a story from her childhood, and she immediately reverts right back into her Massachusetts accent. Oh, man. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Oh, speaking of overserved, where are you having anything this evening? Uh, just water, actually. There you go. I found this. There's a uh, the 21st Amendment Brewery around here. I've heard of them. Okay. They just started doing a hard seltzer. It's called Soma. And... Dude, it's just purified water, alcohol from dextrose, black cherry flavor. That's it. No sugar at all. So it's like really crisp. And Hello. yeah, I found that one. I was like, okay, that's kind of a nice just about when work is over, pre-dinner, a cocktail. So it's a couple steps above the claw. It, yeah. Well, dramatically, because it's so much less sweet. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can handle that. And during the week, I try and be, you know, calm, a bit. Sensible. A little sensible. Gotta be. Hey, if I'm going to be recording with you, my friend. You're going to need a whole lot more of those. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Ain't no law with the claw, baby. You ready to do this? Let's do it. To it. Wow. That was very emphatic. Um, all right, yeah. here we go.
coconut. <laughs>